And I want everyone to lean nice and close to your computer right now because this is the answer to everything. This isn't about a protein bar. The protein bar is a tool in a much bigger um, why, if you will. And that why is to end metabolic disease. You can learn anything, right? Once you believe that, then it's like, okay, wait, I could become extraordinary in any area that I want through discipline practice. You're not naturally gifted at anything. Like you were a lump of flesh. You could hardly hold your own head up when you were a baby you shit in your pants. Reading was my solace. It was my way of reaching beyond my social circle to people that had accomplished something and that were kind enough to write down what they had learned and, you know, pass it on to me. You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, keep it right here on the OPP or visit naturalstacks.com. Ryan Muncy is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncy is the nutrition guy. Ryan Muncy's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, and epic. Ryan Muncy is my go-to guy. Ryan Muncy is he's the first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Ryan Muncy's an innovator. Really cool episode for you guys today. We've got Tom Billu on the show. Tom is the one and only, the Tom Bilyeu from Quest Nutrition, from Impact Theory. You know, if we're going to read his bio, he's co-founder of 2014 Inc. 500 company Quest Nutrition, uh, a unicorn startup valued at over $1 billion and the co-founder, like I said, and host of Impact Theory. Uh, Tom, he's, he's had success every place imaginable along the way. So we're really going to pick his brain on you know, how he's been able to do that. Uh, his mission is very much in line with ours at Natural Stacks and yours as an optimal performer. Um, he is working to create uh, an empowering media-based IP, the acceleration of mission-based businesses, He's personally driven to help people develop the skills they need, that we need to improve ourselves and the world. Um, Tom's intent on using commerce to address the dual pandemics of physical and mental malnourishment. And you'll hear how he's done that with Quest Nutrition, as well as now uh, the new project Impact Theory. Um, Tom regularly inspires audiences of entrepreneurs, change makers, and thought leaders at some of the most prestigious conferences and seminars around the world, including Abundance 360, A-Fest, Freedom Fastlane. He's been a guest on the Tony Robbins podcast and Lewis Howell's School of Greatness. Uh, he's been featured in Forbes, Inc., Success, The Huffington Post. Now he's here with us on the Optimal Performance Podcast. He's also uh, currently on the innovation board of the XPRIZE Foundation. So if you're familiar uh, with Moonshots and uh, XPRIZE, um, uh, Jamie Wheel, Stephen Kotler, the book Bold, uh, Tom's doing big things. He's trying to change the world, and he's going to talk to us about how we can do the same. Before we get to Tom, uh, a couple of housekeeping notes. As always, go to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the video version of this 
uh, on the blog post along with links, resources, a lot of books that we're going to mention in this episode. Also, go to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. Let us know how much you like the show. If we read your review on the air, we will hook you up with free Natural Stacks products. I'm going to read one now from Darn Good Coffee. This was posted May 1st, five stars, 100 episode best yet. Love the 100 episode with Tate Fletcher. Such an inspiring, self-reflective interview. Cannot wait for 101. Keep up the great interviews. So darn good coffee. Thank you. And uh, shoot me an email, ryan at naturalstacks.com. We'll hook you up with some free products to help you live optimal. And last but not least, guys, as you listen to this, there will be things in here that resonate with you, that, that make you think about people in your life. Share the OPP with them. If you're listening on your phone, uh, iTunes and Stitcher have share URLs. Grab those. Text it to somebody. Post it on your Instagram story. Uh, Twitter, whatever you want to do to share it. We're forever grateful if you do that. That's how we reach more people. That's how we build this thing and make the world a better place. So thank you for tuning in. Tom, welcome to the OPP. Thanks for joining us. Dude, thanks for having me on, man. All right. So I got to start by holding these up. Get some some bars. Uh, These are in the house. They're always in the house. We didn't buy them just for this episode. Uh, My wife always keeps them around. so, you know, as I said in the intro, Tom is a co-founder of Quest Nutrition, uh, which was uh, Inc. Magazine's second fastest growing company in 2014. Um, Tom, I, I want to start there because that's kind of yeah. uh, the beginning of all this for you. What do you think enabled the, the rapid growth that you guys experienced there? Because, I mean, let's face it, protein bars were a saturated market. Uh, how did you guys stand out? How did you differentiate yourself? And what led to kind of that, that explosion for you guys? Yeah, there were really three things that allowed us to grow as rapidly as we did. One was just the product was different. So there was nothing, even though it was an insanely crowded marketplace, that had actually been declining for several years. There was nothing on the market that tasted great and didn't have sugar. So most of them either tasted like cardboard and were healthy or tasted amazing and had tons of sugar. But there really was nothing that tasted fantastic but didn't have sugar. And so that was a big thing for us. And then the second thing that allowed us to break through is the manufacturing. So originally when we started, we just assumed that we were going to market the product. We had no intention of being our own manufacturer. Uh, We went to contract manufacturers, and I'm sure like a lot of people before us, had a great recipe, but when we got to the contract manufacturers, they said it couldn't be made. And when people hit that roadblock, you've really got two options. One, you can compromise on the product. And the, the issue is that all of the equipment that was commercially available had grown up over decades and decades with products that were using high fructose corn syrup and other liquid sugars. And so the equipment was very used to producing things that had those kind of liquid binders in them that made the product very pliable, very easy to go through the machinery. And so they developed machines that could handle that. And when we came along and we replaced the liquid sugar with a liquid fiber, all of a sudden the machinery couldn't handle that. And so instead of compromising the product, we said, well, we're either going to do it right or we're not going to do it at all. And so we actually took on not only the challenge of manufacturing, which was a big enough challenge in and of itself, uh, but one of my partners is an Iowa farm boy. And he looked at the equipment and said, I think I understand how to re-engineer this. And he cut it apart himself with a Sawzall 
uh, and put it back together and uh, it worked. And that was a big inflection point for us. And then we just understood social media before anybody else that was playing the game. And so we were coming in and building community and focused on getting people excited about what we were doing, feeling connected, feeling supported. We were celebrating transformation. Uh, so it was just a totally different vibe and dynamic. You know, everybody else, it was what we called chains and veins marketing. And it was aimed at, you know, people that are just grinding it out, using iron all day. And that's amazing. And look, I actually identify with them, but it, um, it just wasn't ever going to speak to a broad audience that wanted to be encouraged, that wanted, you know, someone to be a catalyst for their change rather than just celebrating the, the grind, the struggle, you know, to really show a more beautiful side to the food. And, you know, our first marketing message was stop sacrificing. So it was about really being able to eat food and making the demand of companies to do the hard work to make it good for you. And so you put those three things together right at the right time and you get the kind of crazy growth that we had. Well, and I'm sure that part of the reason that people were able to buy into that is that when you're saying things like never compromise, never sacrifice, and you guys are doing that very thing with your own production and making sure you put out the product you want, people are seeing you live that and, and you know, practicing what you preach, it's easy for people to buy in. That's a great point. You know, you said that the goal with Quest was to end metabolic disease. I love that, um, but you have to admit that's a lofty goal. Um, <laughs> what gave you guys the, the audacity to, you know, blatantly say that? And, and you know, how do you guys feel like you're, you're doing in terms of moving the needle on that? Well, the, it's what I call the arrogance of belief. So you really have to believe that you're capable of getting good at anything. So it's not to say that, hey, I believe that I'm capable of this today. It's that I believe that I can become capable of it tomorrow. And to really have a big audacious goal that you're chasing is very galvanizing, certainly for the internal team, for them to have something big that they can believe in, that they can be a part of, to give significance and purpose to what they're doing at a company. You know, you give 50% of your waking hours to your job. So it's like, if it's not something that you really believe in, that you're not really passionate about, it's going to be such an energy drain. And so we wanted to set our sights high, which we do naturally just as people anyway. And then we wanted to make sure the team understood that this isn't about a protein bar. The protein bar is a tool in a much bigger um, why, if you will. And that why is to end metabolic disease. And, you know, to your point, it's, I think that we've only barely just begun to move the needle and it's, um, it's such a big undertaking. And I think it's going to take decades and decades and really is going to take a lot of focus and commitment over time to pull that off. And I think that it's, it really is going to require a sea change of the entire industry. We're going to have to get costs down and there's a lot of things that are going to have to happen in order to actually pull that off. But if you don't start taking the steps to do it, you're never going to get there. So, you know, it's like Elon Musk, his vision is to make us an interplanetary species, but that doesn't start with oh, and by the way, we're going to be on Mars tomorrow, it starts with we need a reusable rocket, right? And so that's where we started. We needed to take a fundamentally different approach to food and say that it is possible, fundamentally possible, to make something absolutely delicious that people are going to eat because they want to eat it because the entire industry's mantra and the health side has been eat less, exercise more. And that's just not a winning solution, right? There's a narrow band of people that'll do that and they'll be super hardcore about it and they'll get amazing results because of it. But the masses, man, food is like, it's just amazing. Like a bowl of ice cream will cheer you up, I promise. So, you know, to recognize that that is the truth of the human condition, that people eat for pleasure more than they eat for sustenance. So you have to come in and deliver something that tastes amazing. So 
Step one was deliver something that was convenient and delicious and um, you know, reasonably priced. And that was really why we started with the protein bar. And from there, you know, we always saw ourselves as a food company. We never referred to ourselves as a protein bar company. It was actually sort of weird for us that the protein bar became like such a hit and got so big because we always assumed that this was going to be, you know, there were 32 categories of food that we had identified that we were going to be releasing products in that were the 32 categories we thought that were getting people in trouble, that they craved, they wanted, um, but, you know, we're currently bad for their health. So we wanted to do entries into all of those. And that's still the long-term vision. It just, it, you know, really, really takes time to get to that point. But, you know, if you're going to do something like end metabolic disease, it's not going to be overnight. Right. I like the way you guys started with that big goal. And it's almost, it sounds like you kind of reverse engineered it. This is where we want to eventually end up. What are the steps that we can take? And, and I'm sure, you know, from being in health and fitness, that's sort of how you have to break down any long-term goal. Um, for sure. So I guess, you know, we, we always try to focus on actionable things, implementable tips that our listeners can, can do. What are some things that, that they can do either on an individual basis or in their community, um, you know, to help move the needle uh, on ending metabolic disease? Wow. So any metabolic disease, I really think goes something like this. The entire industry has to start rethinking the way that they're doing food. We have to begin sourcing new ingredients. And most importantly, we have to get the cost down on high quality ingredients. Companies have to hold themselves to a metabolic standard, not just a sales standard. So right now, what people are doing is whatever cells they make more of. Now, the problem when you're dealing with a drug and food is in no uncertain terms, it has drug-like effects on neurochemistry. Because of that, you can sell food like a drug dealer sells drugs, right? You're looking for people to get into, unfortunately, a very abusive cycle with the food. So look at something like Oreos where they don't end up changing the formula over like 40 or 50 years until the government forces them through legislation to remove trans fats from their product. Now, uh, I won't say whether they knew trans fats were bad for you. I won't say whether they know sugar is bad for you, but I will say that, man, there's a lot of data out there that uh, points in that direction. And uh, if they don't know, then uh, they're not paying attention. If they didn't know and do know, then they're very slow to react because the product sells well. Now, I'm not a believer in legislating your way out of that. I think if people want an Oreo, they should have an Oreo. And I reserve the right to eat an Oreo, by the way. So it's like, they taste amazing, but it's, we as consumers need to start putting pressure on industries with our dollars to say, hey, I am going to go to the company that's making something delicious that's also good for me. And that was the thing we were always really proud of at Quest is we had the sales to back up the fact that we were making something healthy, but people wanted to eat it. You know, so people were making cookies out of it. They were making cereal. I mean, like anything you can imagine, people were making with a product and that began this whole life of its own thing. So that I think is really, if you want to make meaningful impact, it's not so much like going out and doing rallies with your neighborhood block. It's about really holding the things that you eat to a metabolic standard, rewarding the companies that are putting something out that tastes good and have a positive impact on your body. And then 
um, supporting those companies. And, and that really is it because the key in the industry is like at Quest, people are always like, why are, why are your bars so expensive? You know, like some of our competitors, you could, there were times where you could get like three for a dollar. And it's like, dude, you get what you pay for. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, the only way for ingredients to come down is for a lot of people to be buying them so that inefic or efficiencies get worked into the system across the board. So if you think about some of the things that we were sourcing, take whey protein, for instance, a whey protein isolate is a product of cheese manufacturing. So it's actually beholden to the amount of cheese that's being made because it's not, it can't stand alone yet. The cheese industry is so much bigger that it's all tied to that. So until more people are getting on board and eating whey protein isolates so that we can get the cost down, we can break the necessary association to cheese so that it's always a byproduct of that. Because what happens is people that understand whey protein, the demand is going up for the whey protein, but the supply isn't increasing. So now it's getting more and more expensive. So the people that are bringing it to market, it's obviously higher and higher cost. So then people want to go to a concentrate. They want to go to cheaper things. They want to go to soy, which, you know, is much more readily available, even though metabolically it's not as good for you or some would say it's not good for you at all. I won't get into a religious debate, but so it's like, that's, that's what happens is you need a lot of people using high quality ingredients so that efficiencies get worked into the system. So that the cost is coming down and down and down over time, but rightfully so the processes follow the dollars so we're in this weird loop where it's what sells the stuff that's high in sugar that tastes delicious is absolutely terrible for you but it's so good gives you the neurochemistry hit that that just gets cheaper and cheaper over time whereas the high quality stuff stays expensive yeah i mean all of that just supports the the adage of you know vote with your dollar and and if more people do that then you're getting exactly what you want to put in your body and then you're also like you said supporting the companies doing the, the things that we want more of. So, uh, you know, go out there and, and buy food from your, your local farmer, farmers that you know at, at farmer's markets and, you know, um, spend the extra whatever, however many miles it takes to get to, you know, the people you know or the store that carries what you want. Um, you know, there is a cost for convenience. So, um, all right, Tom, you've got a, a really cool new project, uh, Impact Theory. You're on the set now. We see the logo yeah. behind you. What's the, the mission and the purpose behind this? Because it's, it, it's creating waves already. I've seen several of your interviews. They're great. Uh, what are you trying to accomplish here? So for me, wellness is always meant to be a 360 degree endeavor that encompassed the body and the mind. And Quest was my um, opus to the body and to really give people something that they could um, eat love and it would be good for their body and i had originally hoped that quest as a brand could stretch and encompass the mind as well um the success of quest though was so massive that we really did become identified as the protein bar company and i think it just makes sense to focus that brand on food to stay there it's going to take a long time to really make the meaningful inroads into just metabolic disease let alone trying to get the brand to encompass um, endeavors of the mind so that was originally why i had started inside quest which is basically what has become impact theory I wanted people to um, understand the things that they could do to their mind, not only just to live a better quality of life, but to be more effective in executing against whatever their dreams are. And so seeing that that was going to be a very, um, it was going to take a long time to pull that off. It's going to take a lot of capital investment to make it work in the right way um, to 
to try to get Quest to handle that, to try to, to drag my partners into something uh, that you know was potentially going to take a very long time, cost a lot of money. Um, it just didn't, it wasn't making sense. So instead of doing that, I spun Inside Quest out into a standalone company called Impact Theory. And the easiest way to sum it up is to say that we want to free people from the matrix. And um, said in maybe a more upscale way, we want to end generational poverty. Now, generational poverty to me has nothing to do with money, has everything to do with mindset. You can meet a Buddhist monk who uh, has no money, but certainly does not want for joy, uh, pleasure, contentment, fulfillment, things that really matter. Um, so it's not about that, but it is about, I've worked in the inner cities a lot. Um, starting with doing what was essentially big brothering. It wasn't through the big brother, uh, big sister program, but essentially big brothering. When I was in college, I did that for somewhere around eight, eight and a half years uh, with one kid. And then when we started Quest and we were in the inner cities manufacturing, worked side by side for years with um, some of the most incredible human beings that I've ever met but they had a mindset that was very, very limited. And I thought, wow, these people are amazing. And as you upgrade their belief system, you actually upgrade what they're capable of, mm -hmm. which is astonishing to think that it's so tied just to their belief system um, and their perspective on the world. So uh, I knew that at some point that would become the central mission of my life is to give people a mindset that will allow them to achieve. Uh, because changing my mindset changed everything about my life and took me from scrounging in my couch cushions to find enough change to put gas in my car um, to, you know, building a billion dollar business. So it's, it's possible. I believe anybody that meets minimum requirements can do. Um, but you have to be relentlessly trying to acquire skills. So, um, in doing that, so that's very fancy. And if anybody already from that description understands what we actually sell, I would be startled and you should come work for me immediately because you're a genius. Uh, but what we actually are trying to do from a business perspective is create a studio bigger than Disney. Um, and, and I could go into that. It's very long and thrilling for me explanation of why and what that means. Uh, but that, that's the business model. And they have a very unique model called, called a total merchandising strategy. It's the same strategy we're employing. Um, so yeah, check back in with me in, uh, in 20 years, see where we're at. All right. So we're going to dig into that a little bit, but I want to, before we do, um, you, you mentioned upgrading belief systems and that's, that's such a powerful thing. And, and when that was kind of shown to me, it changed my world. And I know a lot of our listeners have been kind of indoctrinated into that world. Um, I know you recently had Vision on your show and, and yeah. he wrote uh, Code of the Extraordinary Mind. So if you guys have not read that book, I highly recommend it. There's tons in that book about upgrading your belief system. But Tom, if there was one uh, thing that you would impart to our listeners from either your, your talks with Vision or your, uh, your experience with Big Brothering, like what's, what's the one thing you would tell people in regards to an instant upgrade for belief systems? You can learn anything, right? Once you believe that, then it's like, okay, wait, I could become extraordinary in any area that I want through discipline practice. It's not easy. It takes time. You've got to put in the effort. But the only thing standing between you and anyone you admire is a set of skills. And those skills are imminently acquirable. And I think most people believe that their talent and intelligence are fixed, that they're only ever going to get so good at something and that some people are naturally gifted in one area and other people are naturally gifted in another area. And I think people just wander through life trying to figure out like, what is that thing that I'm naturally gifted at? And here's the answer. Nothing. You're not naturally gifted at anything. Like you were a lump of flesh. You could hardly hold your own head up when you were a baby, you shit in your pants. Like, and people get that, but they think somehow, some way that like at 13, they just stopped 
having the ability to learn, grow, and adapt. And it's just not true. And I think if people understood Darwin's quote about evolution, because everyone thinks he said it was the survival of the fittest, uh, which he did not say. That was said long after his death. What Darwin said was, it's not the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent, but rather the most adaptive to change. So if you're alive today, you are the result of generation after generation after generation of those that prove themselves to be the most adaptable. So you're able to learn. We are adaptation machines. That's what we're good at. We are phenomenally good at adapting to an environment, a new piece of knowledge, getting a new skill, becoming good at something that we couldn't do yesterday. Once you bring that belief system in, then it's like, okay, what do I want to aim my skills at? It's not about uncovering what you're good at. It's about developing something. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, learn about being an entrepreneur. You want to be a doctor, learn about being a doctor. I mean, it's that simple. But people have to set themselves on a ruthless path to acquire skills. Like you've got to be so committed to it, you'll just forever be consumed by the people that are more committed than you. I love it. So I hear uh, there's two other books I hear in there that I would recommend to our listeners if you guys haven't touched those yet. Uh, Anti-Fragile uh, and um, Growth Mindset. So uh, check out both of those if you guys haven't. Because I know, Tom, you've got your uh, your reading list that you like to refer people to. So Yes, uh, most we'll definitely. And dude, Anti-Fragile is not one I hear a lot of people throwing out. That book is amazing. It's a great book. It's heavy. It's heavy. That's yeah. one of the few. I listen to everything on Audible. And I do one and a half speed and I actually have to take that one down and kind of go a little bit slower with that one. Yeah. He is, uh, the author's name is Nassim Taleb. He's not for play. Like that guy is legit. <laughs> yeah. You, you need to be focused when you're listening to that one. No question. So, uh, Tom, you've written, um, a blog. Um, I guess your team did it. It's on the impact theory site. We'll put a link to it for you guys listening on the blog post for this podcast. Um, you know, because Tom, I'm not going to ask you to rehash the entire blog, but the, the post was uh, about morning routines and, mm -hmm. you know, that's a big topic on a lot of podcasts and, you know, we want to try to, uh, you know, mimic what works for other high performers. So, in that post, you mentioned a few elements that you work into every single morning. Again, I don't want you to have to rehash the whole thing. So if there was a morning that maybe went awry and you couldn't do all of it, what would be the one or two things that, that you have to do every morning to kind of center yourself, ground things, and make sure that you have uh, a, you know, as productive a day as possible? Okay, so the, the honest answer is there's nothing that I'm ever like terrified to not do. Um, I just try to do all of it most days. So the one thing that I prioritize, and even I can't believe this is true, that I prioritize over anything is working out. So that's the very first thing I do. So if I only had time for one, uh, then I would work out. I why, hate working out. Well, I was gonna say, why, why, does that, why does that surprise you? That, that um, it's, it surprises me because it's so necessary and I so don't want it to be necessary. I guess that it's not so much that it's a surprise. It's that, uh, I just really don't want that to be true, but, uh, yeah, optimizing cognitively has a lot to do with the body. And so, um, for me, and I have a wee bit of an obsession with living forever. So hitting the gym is just critically important. It's also... The gym, I think, is, is the lead domino. There's so many things that you get from working out. So not only are you getting in better physical condition uh, and optimizing your health, 
you're optimizing for cognition, you're earning credibility with yourself because you show up in doing something hard. Uh, it has wonderful uh, power advantages. You're actually getting stronger. It has aesthetic benefits. You look better, uh, which then makes you feel better in turn. So there's just so many things going for it. It's, it's you know, that notion that Tim Ferriss talks about the lead domino. It really is that. Um, so if I'm going to do anything, that's going to be the one. And then probably after that, the most important thing is my most important list. So going through what are the most important things? I mean, this is coming from a business perspective, but what are the most important things that I could be doing to move my business forward? You could have a similar list, um, just for your life. Like what are the most important things I should be doing to hit my goals? Um, those are like the two critical bookends. And then in there is, um, the just really fast, uh, meditating, thinkitating, and reading. So those are the other parts of my morning routine. Awesome, awesome. So if you guys listening have not found your lead domino yet, find it. Um, all right. Uh, another recent post of yours, I think you guys have this one on uh, either Instagram or uh, maybe on Facebook, but you guys, uh, it, it, I think it came from Impact Theory, but you know, you're talking about uh, the, the, one of my favorite axioms, you know, that we are the sum of the five people with whom we spend the most time. I, I feel like that's just so true. Somebody in your position today, it may appear to people on the outside that uh, you have the ability to be a little bit choosier today uh, about who those people are that are around you. So, I want to kind of go back to your, your formative times for both your personal and professional growth. What were some of the tactics or strategies that you used to screen people and weed out the folks that maybe weren't worthy of being in your top five? Um, I was uh, living my life way too much by accident. So if you actually went back to my formative years, the only people that I had a high degree of intention with were authors. And so I was seeking people out that could give me information that would empower me. And that's one thing I will give myself credit for. Like I read a lot um, and reading was my solace. It was my way of reaching beyond my social circle to people that had accomplished something and that were kind enough to write down what they had learned and, you know, pass it on to me. Beyond that, it was like, who did I bump into that happened to be amazing? And I'm a very um, excitable guy. So when I meet somebody that is like gives me that glimmer of, whoa, they know something I don't know. Like this could be really interesting. Then I get very excited. I want to be around them more and, and I would pursue that. But I, oh man, I grew up like before the internet. So, you know, for me, there was no like Facebook group that I could go be a part of. Like this was, you were encountering people in your life. And then did you latch on? And the first person that I really encountered that was just a revolution for me was my wife. And when I met her in my early 20s, man, I latched on because it was there was something so extraordinary about her. And as cheesy as this is, she made me want to be a better person. And so like being around her really began some momentum in my life. And then the two guys that would ultimately become my business partners at Quest, when I met them, I thought, whoa, there's something here. Like they intrigued me from the jump. They were successful entrepreneurs. They had physiques. 
like the two things that I always swore when I was a kid that I would have one day was, you know, I grew up in a morbidly obese family in a family that teetered between white collar and blue collar. And for me, it was, I'm going to be rich and I'm going to have six pack abs. I have no idea how I'm going to do either of those things. So when I met them and they were rich and had six pack abs, I was like, all right, these are my guys. So <laughs> Uh, I latched on them pretty hard and, and just learned everything that I could. But, you know, I mean, I wish that I could say that I went out and I found them. Like they happened to stumble across my path and I was just smart enough to grab a hold. So if today with the internet, man, there are so many groups out there and might I recommend the Impact Theory League on Facebook. There's so many cool people like that are trying to do something that could be these amazing five people like get out there, get on Facebook, find the groups of like-minded people that'll push you to do more. Nice. Nice. We know the business part has been successful. Do you have six pack abs today? Um, I, I would be, they're not razor sharp today. I'm not going to lie. So I'm getting <laughs> summer ready as we speak, but yes, I've had razor sharp six, six pack abs. I don't hold them year round though. So I go in and out. So during the summer I'll be super lean and then Starting in about October, I loosen up. I go crazy at Christmas. Uh, and then I come back out of it around this time where then I get sharp again. So, and I'm never more than say 11, 10 to 11% body fat. Um, but yeah, I, I, because I know that you have physical culturalists that watch the show, anybody else would say, oh yeah, I've still got abs, but they're, they're not sharp. Fair enough. Hey, you mentioned your wife. Um, I know you guys have a project coming up, Relationship Theory. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that started just as a Valentine's Day special, a live Facebook Q&A. And um, we had a blast doing it. It was so much fun. And then we had a lot of people writing in saying like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You should do it again. So we thought, okay, we'll do it again. We did it again, got the same response. It started to be some of our best performing live content. So we thought, okay, why don't we make this a weekly show? And now it's just steamrolling and really becoming one of our most viewed pieces of content, which is really, really exciting. Certainly one of our most engaged pieces of content when we do it live, which is awesome. Um, and it's literally just my wife and I talking through all the things that we've done strategically to build processes and uh, rules of engagement into our relationship to make it fun and exciting, sustainable, um, to create great communication, to be able to work together. So we founded Impact Theory together. She was part of the founding team at Quest. So we've been working side by side for you know almost a decade now, um, which is amazing and we love it. But that's not going to happen by accident. Like you've really got to understand how to navigate those waters. So, um, yeah, bringing that uh, to the forefront in Q and A Q&A format, and uh, it's been awesome. So we've got a lot of high performers that listen, whether they are entrepreneurs working long hours or traveling. Uh, we've got law enforcement. We've got special forces operators. We've got uh, Olympic athletes. A lot of people who travel to perform, travel to do what they do. And, and of course, spouses are at home. Where do most people go wrong on uh, the relationship side with, with things like that? I mean, the, the answer is, is so tried and true. And it's the answer, hopefully, that you hear from everybody. It's always communication. So what's the important part about communication? One is being very honest. So even if your motives are petty, own them. Because then it's not confusing. So 
uh, being open, being vulnerable, and defining terms. And defining terms is a big one so that you can really get somebody's attention. So, you know, normally people throw around words like, this is really important to me, but they say that all the time. And so it doesn't really carry a lot of weight. And it begins to just be another word. My wife and I have taken certain words like important. If I say this is important to me, then I mean, almost without question, it's got to be like 98% of the time, she'll just drop whatever her agenda is and say, cool, you said that's important. The reverse is true for me. The only time is the 2% where we're both going in opposite directions. We're both saying it's important. And I cannot tell you how rare, like it probably doesn't even happen 2% of the time. We're very respectful of that. The other one is promise. Like if I say, I promise I'm going to do that, or I promise this is true, uh, that it's true. Like no BS, like hundred percent, that's going to happen. And doing things like that so that the other person knows there's a sense of like real power weight behind those words. Um, we've got all kinds of tactics and techniques like giving the keys to the kingdom, which is something we talk about. So telling somebody how to um, overcome something that you're going through, um, you know, like my wife. If my wife is upset. Um, something's really bothered her. The keys to the kingdom are to just be sweet. Like, don't try to solve the problem, um, to literally be um, extra affectionate, to hug more, to kiss, to cuddle. Like, those things really help her diffuse her own emotions, get back to a neutral state. So things like that where you're, you're literally just telling somebody how to deal with you. One of the times I gave her the keys of the kingdom was, I don't get mad easily. Uh, it takes a lot to get me pissed. But dude, once I get pissed, like, then I stay pissed. And so for my wife to be able to defuse the situation, I actually wrote her a letter to read back to me. Uh, and to, in the letter, uh, yeah, it's a long story, I won't derail here, but the letter was basically, um, you know, me saying, look, I have no agenda in trying to get you to calm down other than to tell you never once have you been pissed off for four or five hours and thought, wow, I'm really glad I was pissed off that whole time. And uh, just walk myself through the, the neurochemistry of the situation, like you're pumping chemicals that you know, make you want to stay in this angry state. But if you laugh out loud right now, and I, in the letter said, you know, stop whatever you're doing. I know you don't want to, but right now laugh out loud. If you laugh out loud for 30 seconds, like it, it is neurochemically impossible to stay pissed off. Mm -hmm. So would do that. Uh, things like that, that just really facilitate the communication, the um, regulating your emotions. I think too many people trust their emotions. And my wife and I have an inherent distrust of our emotions so that we can re-regulate and get balanced. And uh, yeah, that's just uh, the tip of the iceberg. I love it. So as a married man and somebody interested in neuroscience, uh, I, I love all of that. It's good stuff. Uh, Tom, let's go rapid fire on a couple more questions and then uh, right. we'll let you get on with your day. Um, you mentioned earlier this fascination with living forever. What other tips or, or things do you uh, consider part of your arsenal to help you live as long as possible? Food is the most important thing. Uh, positive mental attitude, uh, the ability to accurately assess risk and reward and access to finances, those are those are four, man. Those are really going to help. Yeah, those are great. Um, you know, and, and kind of looking at what you've had success with and, and, you know, I mentioned this earlier that both podcasting and protein bar seem to be saturated markets. And, and in both of those, you've had uh, quick impact and, and, you know, gotten huge shares of, of eyeballs. I don't want to call that. I don't want to ask for your secrets because I don't think it's an accident. 
you know, it, just in listening to you talk, it sounds like you're doing research, you're finding out where the gaps are uh, and providing needs. Is there anything else that you would recommend for, for our listeners that they could apply to whatever their pursuits are to kind of have as big of an impact as you've had? Absolutely. And I want everyone to lean nice and close to your computer right now because this is the answer to everything. Outwork everyone. The only thing that human beings respond to is extraordinary performance. If you want to dazzle people, you have to do something that they've never seen before. You have to go above and beyond. Set the bar ridiculously high, ridiculously high, and then surpass all expectations. That's it. So my whole thing with interviewing is everybody's doing the same interview. So what do I have to do? I have to go beyond what I call the loop, right? Mm -hmm. To get somebody out of their loop, I then have to watch every interview that they've done before so I know what their loop is and I can ask them questions to take them out of that. So I know so much about them. Somebody actually said mid-interview, you know more about me than my own mother. Um, and that is like, that's, that's performance. Like that's, you have to get so good they can't ignore you. Like you, that, that's it. I could, Jesus, I could go on and on about that. But at the end of the day, my secret power, I outwork people. That's it. There's, it'll work in everything. Outwork everyone else. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, how about two or three things that people do that maybe we should do less of? Wasting time. I am just a huge believer in efficiency. Uh, that's why I keep a list of the most important things that I could be working on. So there's no cognitive load of what should I be doing. I should be looking at my list and then going immediately down it. Um, and then believing, believing anything that doesn't move you towards your goals is crazy town to me. You have to do and believe whatever's going to move you towards your goals. And I think people are self-destructive because they allow beliefs about themselves that are counterproductive. So let's take a growth mindset, for instance. I said at the top of the show, you can do anything you set your mind to. I think I said you can learn anything. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say that that's not true. How does it help you to believe that that's not true? Now, to believe that it is true, while it may be a lie, I will end up doing so much more. I may actually reach the limits of human potential, but I'll have gotten there because I believe that I could go beyond it. Whereas other people that believe that they're limited, they don't even start. So belief is a huge thing. Cultivate your mindset. I love it. All right. So you kind of answered this a um, couple of questions back, but every guest that comes on the show, we close with their top three tips to live optimal. So if you could just impart those three to our listeners, what would you say? Optimize your body, optimize your mind, and ignore your emotions. Like those are... Yeah, do and believe that which moves you towards your goals. And if being angry, being sad, all that isn't serving you, then don't give into it. Love it. Uh, Tom, where can our listeners get more of you? Dude, I'm hyperactive socially. At Tom Bilyeu uh, is where you find me. My last name, unfortunately, is spelled a little weird, but it's B as in Bravo, I-L-Y-E-U. Uh, hit me up, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. I'm there every day. Beautiful. Tom, this has been a blast. Thanks for hanging out with us. Dude, thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. For you guys listening, thanks for tuning in. Go to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the blog post for this along with uh, video links, show notes, all that good stuff. And as always, uh, go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, grab your friend's phone, subscribe them to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and share this with the people you know who will benefit from the things we're talking about. Anybody that popped into your mind while you're listening, share it with them. That's how we reach more people. That's how we grow this thing and, and help uh, in metabolic disease or 
and generational poverty. Generational poverty. Matrix. All, I, all I could think of was governmental poverty. I knew that was <laughs> generational poverty. Yes. Yeah. Get out of the matrix.